Amen. Let's give God some praise. God is amazing. God is wonderful. God is gracious. God is victorious. God is king. And that's the God we serve this morning. Amen. Thank you, worship team. My name is David St. Jean, and I am happy to see your beautiful faces. I told everyone last week that I thought that sunset, you guys can sit down, actually. <laughs> um, I told everyone I was at, at, on a beach last week in California, and I saw the sunset, you know, the purple, blue sky. I was like, yeah, this is what, must, this is what heaven must feel like. And again, I'm reminded that when I see all of us singing there's women, there's men, there's black, there's white, there's Asian. There's nothing more beautiful than that to me. That is a taste of what heaven is like. So this is your weekly reminder. This is your taste of what heaven is like. Um, let's greet one another, right? That's what we do. <laughs> it's been a week. Say, say hi to somebody. Give them a high five, right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. No one bites here. how no one came and said hi to me. That's cool. All right. <laughs> Hello. Good to see you guys. Welcome. You are in Zion Church, if you walked in after Winnie introed us. I'm excited to be here because, again, I love God's people. I love God. I love the fact that we get to worship and sing about him. I love more that we get to hear from him directly from his word, right? Um, we've been in the middle of a phenomenal series that has been led by Tiffany. Um, we're going to continue that. This is actually the last one. I'm a little sad. That's why I'm, I, there's tears in my eyes. Um, I'm just so sad, Tiffany. <laughs> um, but I'll listen to the sermons every week. All right. That will keep me going. Um, but Tiffany is going to come up and bless us and, and conclude our series about the church and our mission, our glorious mission because of our glorious king. So let's just welcome her as she comes up. retiring after this <laughs> because it's terrifying to preach just so you guys know if you've ever been given the opportunity to come up here it's actually a curse <laughs> it's not a blessing you got lights on you you're sweating it's really hard but thank you guys for uh, coming back to hear me for the third time so as David mentioned this is going to be the last of our three week series on missions so two weeks ago two weeks ago we went over psalm 67 we heard israel's song israel's prayer and we learned that god's mission was to bless his people so that all the people groups can know who he is that god's end game was not just israel but he wanted all of creation last week we went over jesus's commission Jesus's command to his followers to make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, not just the ones who look like them. Now today, we are bringing it home. So we went over God's mission, Jesus's commission. Today, we're going to talk about our unique mission as the church in New York City, our unique mission. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your words that speak life into us. 
Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to worship you together as a family, gathered together in this place that you have provided for us. Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning because you are the teacher. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would show your living word to us, that we may know you and that we may follow you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today we are in the book of Acts, the book of Acts. If you've seen sometimes on, in Bibles, they'll say the full name, Acts of the Apostles. Uh, I like to say Acts of the Holy Spirit. We'll agree to disagree. <laughs> but that's what the book is called, Book of Acts. The Book of Acts is an exciting book because Acts chronicles the explosion of the early church. The explosion of the early church. So the disciples of Jesus, disciples means students, the former students of Jesus are no longer students. They've graduated. They've received his commission, and now they're apostles. The word apostle means sent ones. So they are sent on a mission, and they go out doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. They are baptized in the Holy Spirit. They go out. They proclaim the gospel. They tell people who Christ is, that he died for their sins, and he was raised up on the third day. They go out and, uh, what else do they do? They go out and they start doing the very things that their teacher Jesus was doing. So in the book of Acts, you read them not only teaching, but they're healing people. They're casting out demons. They're even raising the dead. So now you see the apostles going out and what happens? People start coming to Christ. Gentiles, non-Jews. People groups that are not of Israel start coming to Christ. But all this movement is not without consequences. It's not without consequences because we also see that the early followers of Jesus, new disciples, baby Christians, they get persecuted. They get attacked. They get thrown in prison. They even get killed. There's a whole, uh, there's a couple of chapters about Apostle Stephen. He gets stoned in public because of what he is preaching. There was a man named Saul. So Saul was part of the party of Pharisees. The Pharisees were a party that really stuck to strict interpretation of the scripture. And Saul did not like what the disciples were saying, what the apostles were saying. He did not like it. It said that Saul was often breathing murderous threats against them. He would go from house to house, dragging men and women to prison. Saul was pretty much like ice, ice for Christians. He would hear, he would read letters to the synagogues. He would find out you're part of the movement, you're part of the way, and he would drag you to prison. But as an encouragement to us that Jesus can meet anyone, Jesus meets Saul on his way to Damascus. He becomes a follower of Christ. He becomes a follower of Christ and becomes probably one of church history's most well-known apostles and evangelists. So today we are going to be seeing what, uh, what Saul, now known as Paul, is going to be doing. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 17. We're going to be right in the middle of the action. Acts chapter 17. Now Paul, the apostle Paul and his partner Silas, 
have been going around in Jewish synagogues. They've been going into synagogues and they've been using the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament law, the prophecies, all the history. They've been using these scriptures to show the Jews who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied to come and that he had to die to save men from their sins. So in Acts chapter 17, they're in the city of Thessalonica. They're preaching, people start believing, but there were some Jews that didn't like what they were saying. So they formed a mob. They formed a mob in the city and they attacked the disciples. So Paul and Silas get sent for their safety. They go to Berea. So they go to the city of Berea. And in Berea, they do the same thing. They go into the synagogues. They're going to their own people. That's what they know. They're using the scriptures to show them who Jesus is. But then the Jews from Thessalonica found out. So they follow, they follow Paul and Silas to Berea. And they start causing trouble again. So now this time they send Paul to Athens just by himself. Paul is supposed to chill, wait in Athens, wait for Silas and Timothy to come um, before he does anything. But Paul, Paul's a zealous guy. Paul's not the sort of person who can just, uh, just chill, just relax. <laughs> just wait a bit. People are attacking us, just hang on. He's not that kind of guy. He was zealous when he was persecuting Christians. He's zealous now about proclaiming the gospel. So he cannot sit still. It says that in Acts, uh, in Acts, it says that he's walking around the city of Athens and he's seeing all these idols, all these temples. And it says his spirit was provoked. He can't handle it. <laughs> he can't handle all this false worship. If you've ever been to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, you know those Greek gods? There are statues of Greek gods and goddesses that they would worship. And that's what Paul was seeing. All these temples to all these false gods, he can't handle it. So he goes to the synagogue by himself. By himself, he starts reasoning from the scriptures again. He continues his ministry. It doesn't matter he's by himself. But not only that, he starts going to the marketplace. He starts evangelizing in the marketplace, not just to Jews. So eventually, this, guy that makes, this one guy who's making all this noise, he gets the attention of these philosophers. And the, ph the philosophers are like, hmm, this guy is saying something new. We've never heard this before. In the scriptures, it said the Athenians would often spend time doing nothing except exchanging ideas. They love this stuff. They love it. So here's Paul preaching this new stuff, and he gets invited to the Oropagus. Now, the Oropagus is it's where uh, the Athenians had, it's a high council. Like, it's a court of high officials of the city. But it's also a place where people used to exchange ideas. So I kind of think of it as like, it's a combination of the Supreme Court and Union Square. <laughs> so if you've ever been to Union Square, you know there's always some guy in a milk crate. He's got a megaphone. He's got a sign. He's preaching whatever he thinks he believes. That's kind of what I think the Oropagus is like, except without the megaphone. So Paul is there. God has given him an audience. He's, God has given him an audience. And he starts off his speech. He says, men of Athens. So we know he's not talking to Jews now. He's not talking to people that uh, know who Moses and Abraham is. He's crossing cultures to the Greek culture. He says, men of Athens, I noticed that you guys are really religious. 
You guys are really spiritual. But I saw a statue, and I said, to an unknown God. So the God that you don't know, I'm going to tell you who he is. I'm going to proclaim to you. So this is where our passage starts. Acts 17, starting in verse 24. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. We are going to stop there. We're going to stop there. Paul's speech is loaded with theology. It's loaded with theology. The first thing he starts off with is that God created everything and he doesn't need man to serve him. God is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples. He doesn't live in temples made by man. He doesn't need anything from man. See, the first thing that Paul is doing, he's not starting off with, Jesus died for your sins. You don't even know who Jesus is. <laughs> he starts off correcting the Athenians' worldview. Now, worldview is something that we take for granted. Worldview is sometimes I hear it described as, it's the lens that you see the world. It's how you understand everything. So, for example, if you had a lens that was really postmodern, you might see the world and truth might be relative. It's not absolute right and wrong. It, it depends on the culture. It depends on the time. Like slavery was right back then because that's what everyone did, but it's not right now. It's changed. Morals have changed. That's a worldview. Now, the Athenians had a worldview where there were all these gods and goddesses, and they always influence human affairs. So you can always appeal to the god or goddess that you need help with, and they'll, they'll help you in return. If you worship them, they'll help you. So for example, if you are in battle, you're in war, you can go appeal to, the, to Ares, the god of war. Let's say you're struggling with singleness. You're like, when am I going to get a husband or wife? You can go to the temple of Hera. She's the goddess of marriage and family. But that was how the Athenians understood the world. That was their worldview. And everything in the city was around this kind of spirituality. Temples everywhere. They used to have festivals to the gods. They would have sports competitions. Uh, as long as they would honor the god or goddess, can't be, you know, Athenians weren't, uh, <laughs> Athenians were feminists. They were, <laughs> they were gods and goddesses. So the god or goddess would help you in return. But Paul says, no, there's one god. There's one god who created everything. And he doesn't need all these, like, little things that you do. He doesn't need you to serve him. He's the one giving life. He doesn't, he's not manipulated by your flattery. He doesn't need your festivals. He doesn't need your little offerings. Now, this might sound strange to us because we know, I mean, God ordained festivals. God commanded feasts. 
Solomon built God a temple. God had a temple. So what are we talking about here? What's Paul talking about? So Paul is not correcting the Athenians' actions. He's correcting their thinking. He's correcting their thinking. For the Athenians, the gods and goddesses, in their imagination, they acted a lot like humans. They even looked like humans. You could that's, why there's a, that's why they look like humans in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. They look like us, but much more beautiful, much more beautiful. <laughs> Um, but they were like vain, they were petty, they would respond, they can be manipulated. Now sometimes we kind of treat God the same way. How many of us have ever tried to bargain with God? Bargain with God. Like, God, if I promise I'm not going to curse anyone out on my way to work, just help me get this promotion. Just help me get this promotion. Look, I was good. My mouth was shut. That guy cut me off. I didn't say anything, God. I didn't say anything. Maybe if you're in school, you're like, God, you know, I'm going to listen to my mom this time. But I need help with that test I didn't study for. I need help with that test that, you know, I knew about last month. But, but, but I was good. I was good. You know, sometimes why, even if we don't bargain with God, why do we get disappointed when God doesn't answer our prayers? Why do we pray and we expect God to answer us? And when he doesn't, it's like, what's up with that, God? God, I've been going to church for six months now. Six months. And I helped break down after service. That one time. That one time. Why am I still in debt? Why? Why am I fighting with my wife? What's going on, God? See, a lot of times our, our thinking is a lot like the Athenians. The Athenians would serve their gods, but they wanted it's because they wanted the gods to serve them. And sometimes the way we treat God, it's more about us. It's more about us. Now, sometimes we also treat church as a temple. You know, we hear, oh, God doesn't live in temples. We're like, well, obviously. Obviously he doesn't live in a temple. But then sometimes we, we act like God does live here. It's important, for, even our language, we're going to meet God. We're going to meet God. Why? Because he's in this school? We talk, this is some, for some of us, this is the only time in our week that we hear from the Lord. This is the only time that we worship him. This is the only time we see our brothers and sisters because we have to come to a physical place. Why else do we force our kids to come to this place and we never talk to them about Jesus otherwise? We never preach the gospel to them, but oh my gosh, it's almost 11. We got to get to that place. We got to get to church, the building. You know, the word church in Greek, it's never a building. Ecclesia, it means gathering. It means where the, the Christians have gathered. That means you could be in a home with your brothers and sisters. You're at church. You could be in a restaurant with your brothers and sisters. You're at church. You could be in a parking lot. <laughs> You know, in China, this is, this is a segue. I'm going off the script now. In China, they're being persecuted. So they can't meet in homes because the authorities are watching the homes. So they've just been staying around in parks worshiping Jesus because you can't stop it. You can't stop the church. Church is not a place. But sometimes we create rituals instead of relationship. We're not too different than the Athenians. In Psalm 135.6, it 
The psalmist says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deep. Whatever God wants to do, he's Lord of heavens and earth, he will do it. Now, this should give us great encouragement. Why? Because these past weeks, we've been talking about God's mission. God's mission. Whose mission is it? It's God's mission. It's not our mission. So if it's God's mission, if it's God's initiative, then God's going to do it, right? He's going to see it through. He's going to see it through. It's like you work in an office, your manager has this crazy project. He wants you to do a little part of it, but you don't have to worry because it's a manager's project, and this is God's mission. God promised Abraham he was going to bless all the people groups on earth. That wasn't our idea. So that means even if we don't exactly know what we're doing, even if we do things and we fumble, we stumble, we do things badly, even if that's true, God is going to do it. So a few years ago, I was talking with some college students from Palestine. And I was having conversation. They were teaching me about Islam. And it was really cool. I really liked them. But I left the conversation feeling really discouraged. And I realized I'm terrified to talk to them about Jesus. I am terrified. I don't have enough boldness. I don't have enough faith to tell them about Jesus. They are wonderful people. There's no way that I can share the gospel with them. They're not going to believe me. So I said this to the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't think I can do this. And God said back to me, he said, do you think that them believing in me is going to be based on your faith? Do you think that, that them finding salvation through me is going to be based on what you do? Is going to be based on how well you know Islam? How well you explain the gospel? And I felt foolish. I felt foolish because I did think that. I did think this was my mission. I did think that if I could say it well, then these people would suddenly know who Jesus was. But if God doesn't need us, if what Paul says is true, God doesn't need humans to serve him, then why did Jesus commission us at all? Why did Jesus give us the command? If God does not need humans to serve him, if this is God's mission, why doesn't God just go to the people groups himself? He doesn't need me. He's more powerful than me. This is his idea. I don't know who Abraham is. <laughs> he commissions us. This is, this is how I think of it. So how many of you, when you were young, you would help your mom or dad do something? Like you would help them like cook, you help them build furniture. I used to help my dad build furniture all the time. We were cheap. It was kind of like Ikea furniture. Um, it's, it wasn't Ikea. It was before I, how many of you remember Pergament? 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 Yes, I know that's a throwback. It's a throwback. It's a throwback. But I used to help my dad build Pergament furniture. And I felt important. <laughs> I felt needed. I would count all the screws. I would make sure in the book we had the right parts. Um, but from the, and maybe you did too, maybe you felt important. But from the parent's point of view, it's a little different, right? It's a little different. So maybe if you're a parent, you relate to this. You know, you ask your kid to help you with dinner. You ask them to wash the vegetables. They're not really doing a good job. Kind of making a mess, there's water everywhere. 
So you're like, all right, all right, stop doing that. <laughs> you're like, can you help me bring this out to the table? So they're like, okay. And then they spill it. So now it's all over the floor. Now you got to clean it off. It's like dinner is taking a lot longer than if you just did it yourself. <laughs> than if you just did it yourself. But that, <laughs> that's not the important thing, right? If you're a parent, if you're a parent, you know it's not important that dinner is taking a long time to make. Because dinner is going to get made. Dinner is going to get made. You're going to eat. You ask your daughter or son to help you make dinner, not only because you're teaching them, but because you're building a relationship with them. Because they are knowing you as they wash vegetables poorly, as they're spilling stuff. They are spending time with you. And that relationship is important. When we follow the Great Commission, it's not because God needs us to do it. It's because we get to know him through it. Remember, the reward for obeying the commission is not that all these nations, it's not that all these people groups will suddenly follow the gospel, it's not that they would all know Jesus and they're going to love you. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. Nah, it's not success in ministry. The reward is that you get to be with Jesus. So God created everything. He doesn't need us to serve him but he commands us to for our sake. He commands us to so that we may know him, so that we may go with him to make disciples of all people groups. He's not going by himself. He wants us to go with him to all these groups. So that's our first point from Paul. Our second point from Paul's speech is that God created one from one man every nation of mankind to live on all over the earth. God created from one person Adam, all the people groups to live on the earth. Now, the reason why he says this is because the Athenians had a superiority complex. See, the Greeks, they thought their culture was the best. They used to call all the other cultures, all the other people groups, barbarians. They're not as cultured as we Greeks are. So Paul's like, nah, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. God created us all. He created us from one man, all these people groups. We are all linked. We are all part of the human race. Now, when I was preparing this, I was thinking, you know, I hope this isn't a sermon we need to preach at Zion. I hope no one here thinks that their people group is better than other people groups. I hope that's not true. But then I thought about it more, and I thought, no, there are thoughts that we have. There are things that we say that put down other groups. We'll say things like, oh, those people are dirty. They're so dirty. People are rude. Those people, their food smells bad. Why, why do they act like that? Why do they dress like that? You know, they beat their women. You know, I saw a video. They stoned a woman just for talking to, to a man. They're terrorists. Sometimes a lot of our thinking does dehumanize other people groups. We do think of ourselves as better. We might not be calling them barbarians, but we don't see them the same as ourselves. We don't see them on equal plane. But Paul says, no, God created from one man all these groups. And not only that, God determined, says, it's a lot of words here that Paul says. This probably sounds better in Greek. But it says, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. What does that mean? That means God 
not only made all these people groups to live on the earth, but God determined where and when people groups would live throughout history. Now, that's not hard for us to understand, right? We know that people groups, because it doesn't mean countries, we know they don't always live in the same place. Mexicans don't all live in Mexico. They don't all stay there. We know that. We know in history, people have immigrated from place to place. Sometimes people had to flee because of war. Slavery displaced a whole people group from their country. People groups have not always lived in the same place at the same time. But Paul is saying all of that, all of that is under God's sovereignty. Why? Why? He says that they should seek God in the hopes that they would know, find, seek him and hopefully find him. Now, the first time that I understood this verse, it was very recent. It was actually when I went to seminary. So this was how many years ago? Four, 2012. What is that? Seven years ago. <laughs> 2012, I went to seminary. My seminary is about 45 minutes north of Boston. It's so far up there, people in Boston don't know where it was. But it was my first time really living outside of New York City. It was my first time being away from any big city. And I had culture shock. I had culture shock because I found out that the rest of the country is really, really white. <laughs> I did not know this. I mean, I knew this, but I didn't know this. I've never experienced that in my life because when you grow up in New York, like, I have never felt like a minority here. Never. We got, like, nine Chinatowns now. If you take, <laughs> if you take the D train, that's not my best one, listen. If you take, <laughs> if you take the D train, my people are the majority. Chinese grandmas will cut you for a subway seat. I have never felt different here because everyone here is from somewhere else. Everyone here is from somewhere else. My first best friend in elementary school was half Japanese, half black. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing. My grandfather couldn't speak English. He would greet my friend's grandfather. He was from Greece. They couldn't say anything except good morning, good morning. That's it. Every single day, every single day. He would walk me to school. My friend would get walked to school. Good morning, good morning. That's it, that's it. But it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing. And then I get to rural America, and oh my gosh, all of a sudden, I had friends from Montana who owned ranches. They owned cows and horses. I had friends from the Bible Belt, and they all listened to Taylor Swift. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know she was that popular, but she is. She is. I had friends from the Pacific Northwest, from Oregon, from Oregon, and they wore expensive hiking sandals. Hiking sandals, that's like an oxymoron. <laughs> so like instead of Tim's, they would wear something called Chacos. You guys know what Chacos are? They're like expensive sandals <laughs> that are for hiking. Anyway, so I had culture shock. I had culture shock. Some of y'all laugh because it's like, oh, we know this. You guys don't know this. You don't know this. <laughs> I had culture shock, but I got used to it. And I was so blessed 
because that's our family, right? I got to meet brothers and sisters from a culture that we don't really see too often here in New York. So I was blessed. I got used to the fresh air. I got used to grass. I got used to the grass. But the next time I came home, I had culture shock again. You know, some people call this reverse culture shock. You know, when you go to another country and you come back, that's pretty much what I did. New York's like a country. I came back and I had reverse culture shock because all of a sudden there was no majority culture. All of a sudden I'd be on the train, Latinos, Asians, blacks, people, you, you don't know where they came from. And the whole train car is filled like that. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I had to take a step back. And I thought, who's, who's preaching the gospel to all these people? They're all speaking different languages. Who's, who's sharing with them? And then I came across this verse. Then I came across this verse, and it says that God allotted the periods and boundaries of all these people groups dwelling place that they might seek him in the hope that they would find him. And then I thought, I'm sitting in my chair, and I thought, oh my gosh, is there a reason for all this? Is there a reason that New York looks the way that it looks? Is there a reason? Is God doing something that he has ordained that all these people groups, all of us, we all live here, we're all rubbing shoulders at the same time, at the same place? You know, in the scriptures, we read about God's sovereignty. In 2 Chronicles 26, it says, You, God, rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Daniel 2.21 says, God changes times and seasons. He removes kings, and he sets up kings. Proverbs 16.4 says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose. And I thought, oh my gosh, is there a purpose for New York looking like this? What is God doing here? What is he doing here? So after I start reflecting on this verse, because all of a sudden, this was the first time in my life that I saw all the people groups, all these nations that scriptures talked about. I never saw them before. So as I, I was reflecting on this, I went to a chapel service. So chapel is like, uh, it's like church, but in school. Um, I went to a chapel service, and the speaker was speaking on Acts 1. And in Acts 1, the risen Christ is telling his disciples, he says, wait in the city, wait for the Holy Spirit. And then he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I stood there in shock. Because I realized that the ends of the earth were in my Jerusalem. I realized that there were people from all over the earth that lived in my city. And I never saw that before. So I started learning about who was here. Who is here? I know Chinese people are here, but who else is here? Who else is here? I started learning about the country of Yemen, which I didn't know existed before. I learned that there were nations like Yemen where in the country it's illegal to preach the gospel. It's illegal to share about Christ. So if you're in the country, you might never hear the gospel, ever, because it's against the law. But let's say the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Let's say you find online 
copy of the Gospel of John. Let's say you hear the Gospel. It's illegal to even become a Christian. You cannot leave Islam. You cannot. So if you are a Yemeni in Yemen, you might never hear of Jesus. And even if you do, your life might be in danger if you try to, if you try to convert. But then I learned that God in his grace, in Brooklyn now, almost every bodega in Brooklyn is run by Yemeni people. Almost every bodega in Brooklyn. If you go to a bodega and you can't get a ham sandwich, chances are it's run by a Yemeni. It's run by a Yemeni. What was God, what is God doing? And that's why the title of today's message is Our Unique Mission. Our unique mission, which actually isn't that unique. It's not that unique. All followers of Christ have received the same commission. He said, make disciples of all nations, make disciples of all people groups. So we, we all have the same mission. We all have the same command from Jesus. But what's unique about us is that God, in his sovereignty, has brought people from all over the earth, people groups who may never have the chance to hear the gospel. He's brought them here in our city. He's brought them here next door to us. Now, a lot of times people say, oh, don't go across the world if you can't go across the street. Most of the time, people say that as a cop-out because they don't want to cross cultural barriers. They don't want to like, make the hard effort of learning about another person's religion. Now, I'm not saying that because if you live in Alabama and there's nobody around you, go somewhere else. <laughs> go somewhere else. Trees do not need to hear the gospel. You're not making disciples of horses. Go somewhere else. If you're in a place where everyone around you has heard the gospel, they just don't want to follow it, it's okay. Go to people who have never heard. But for us, for us in New York, that's not the case, is it? That's not the case. Our neighbor might have never heard the gospel. Our, the guy who does our laundry might have never heard the gospel. We have a unique mission here. Now, if this is God's mission, then he's going to see it through, right? If it's God's mission, then maybe we shouldn't be asking ourselves, oh, what can we do? What's the next plan? What's our strategy? Maybe we should slow down a bit and say, God, what are you doing? God, what have you been doing? What have you been doing on earth? What have you been doing throughout history? How have you been redeeming your people? How have you been making yourself known? And how can we join you? How can we join you? You know, the beginning of the book of Acts, it says that uh, the author, which is attributed to Luke, he says, in my first book, the book of Luke, I talked about everything that Jesus began to do. The Acts is Jesus is continuing to do that. And Jesus has been continuing to do that. Jesus has not stopped. The apostles who lost their lives, their followers, they haven't stopped. We are beneficiaries of that. So if that's the case, what is God doing? What are these people groups doing here? I guess that's the question. What are all these people doing here in God's eyes? Is it so that they would know him? So we've talked about a couple of applications these past few weeks already, right? We talked about opening our eyes. We talked about, hey, I have a coworker. He's from Egypt. 
but I've never, I've never talked to him about Christ. I never even asked him what he believed. We talked about seeing when we walk down the street, who is here? Because, you know, New Yorkers, we just walk right by them. We talked about praying for people groups, educating ourselves, open up Google News, look at what's going on around the world, what's happening in all the people groups that belong to God. These aren't people groups that exist for themselves because we know God created them. They just don't know him. So how can we pray for them? How can we pray for what's going on in their countries? How can we pray for what's going on here? And the third step is just starting dialogue, engaging in dialogue. Now, I know the things that I've been saying, a lot of us find challenging. I know a lot of us are probably thinking, oh, Tiff, I can't even talk to people of my own people group. I can't even share Jesus with my family. How are you going to expect me to cross a cultural boundary to talk to someone else? How? Well, the blessing of the commission, the blessing of this command that Jesus has given us is that he didn't give it to us individually. He did not tell us individually to be an expert in all these groups, be an expert in all these religions. He gave it to the church to do together. And we're going to do this together. We're going to do this together. Just as we follow all the other commands that Jesus has given us, just as I help you obey Christ, as I hope you help me obey Christ, we're also going to figure out this commission together. So one of the things that's happening on Tuesday, if you use the app, you might see David Gilbert posted uh, an event that's happening at Blend Coffee Shop. If you haven't gone to Blend, you should go. The coffee's really good. Go to Blend Coffee Shop on Tuesday, uh, 8, 8 o'clock. David has invited his friend who is from Yemen. Yemen, if you don't know, is racked in civil war. He's invited his friend who left that place to come here, and he's going to share. And we're going to listen. We're going to listen. We're not starting off with, let me tell you about Jesus. We're going to listen. What's going on with your people group? How can we pray for you? Bay Ridge has a huge population of Yemenis. If you walk down the street, you see all the women with the niqabs, you know, the ones that cover their face with the veil? Chances are they're from Yemen. So let's hear from our neighbor. Let's hear from our neighbor. What's going on? How can we pray for you? See, if the sovereign God has determined that these people groups live here, he's also determined that we live here. He also put us here. It's no accident that we are here. It's no accident. God knows who his people are. And there are disciples of him in this city. And they're meeting in this school right now. So we know if God does not live in temples, guess where he lives? Guess where God lives? God lives in us. So maybe instead of coming to a place, trying to bring people to a place, maybe the next time we go to the bodega, we, we start a conversation. Because we have Christ in us, right? So God has created everything. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not need us to serve him, but he has called us to go with him to the ends of the earth. In his sovereignty, he's moved people to places where they can hear the gospel, and he's put us right where they are as well. So this is our unique mission. This is our unique mission. I was going to say this is our unique challenge. This is our challenge, but you'd be surprised how well we cross cultures. You'd be surprised 
There are a lot of workers, they come from the other parts of the country and they come to New York. They're like, oh my gosh, the nations are here. And I'm like, bro, we've been here. We've been here. We've been here for like generations now. The people catching up is not the immigrants coming here, it's the church. It's the church. The church is trying to catch up with what God is doing. So in closing, I pray that the nations may hear the gospel through us. I pray that the people groups who have no chance making our chicken and rice, I hope he hears the gospel while he is here. Because tomorrow he might not be. Tomorrow he might not be. Why don't we pray? Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you love us so much that you sent Christ not only for us, but you sent Christ for the whole world. We thank you that you have ordained all these things to happen so that we may know who you are because we know, we know that you desire none to perish. And Lord, forgive us for being slow to recognize your work. Forgive us for having our eyes only on ourselves, thinking that the scriptures are about us, thinking that our religion is what's going to be beneficial for us. Lord, we pray that you would convict us, move us, teach us. How can we follow you? How can we go to the ends of the earth? How can we make disciples of all people groups? Because, Lord, we don't know what we are doing. And this is new for us. But, Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you are with us. We thank you that we need not be afraid. We thank you that you have empowered the apostles with boldness and you will do the same for us. And we ask you, Lord, for that. We ask you, Lord, that you would give us boldness, courage, faith, and trust in you that even if we don't know what we are doing, you will save your people. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.